wanted to take some time and talk about some things that we have going on in the hospital right now that's very exciting, something new, never happened in my career for sure, but we've had National Guard deployed to our Toledo Hospital and Flower Hospital campuses to take some time and really share with staff about some of the things they're doing, their mission, their purpose, and we are so honored to have Major (laughs) Zach Davis with us today. Tell us some of the details and some of the logistics. I'm with the 179th Airlift Wing out of Mansfield, Ohio. I'm the senior intel- intelligence officer there. Served 21 years in the Air National Guard. First time ever doing and working in the hospitals. Been a unique experience, and we'll touch on that more later. I do have a wife and three children, which are amazing, that allow me to go out and leave Worcester, Ohio, two and a half hour drive. And I've been calling home in Maumee since December 20th. Your wife has to be pretty flexible and understanding. She's a trooper. Uh, when we got, I got the phone call on a Friday or email, hey, anyone interested in this COVID task force standing up? Email kind of said, hey, there's a need in Northeast Ohio. Northeast Ohio is 30 to 45 minutes from my house, depending on which way I go. Akron, Canton, Cleveland's about 50. I'm like, hey, I'll be in the Cleveland area. I can drive that every day. Show up to the base on Monday. Northwest Ohio? And you're going to serve as the director of operations, overseeing and coordinating with all of the hospitals and then tasking out all of our 10-person teams. Go home that night and like, hey, I'm going to Toledo. Oh, boy. um, I'm sure that went over like a lead balloon at first. You know, after we've married 17 years, she just kind of expects it. Last year, I came home and said, hey, are you good with me going to Puerto Rico for two months? Yeah, can we come down and visit? She came down. We were homeschooling at the time and it worked out. Well, Puerto Rico has some benefits. Northwest Ohio in January is not. We had a wind chill advisory this morning. That was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. There's a drastic difference, right? So the family was able to come down. Kids went surfing and condo on the beach. Definitely a little different mission than up here. And then also last year deployed to Kuwait. So it was gone for a couple months. My schedule is constantly, I'm on the road a lot, even though I'm out of Mansfield, Ohio. I do a lot of traveling around back and forth to D.C. on occasion and down to Texas. She's come to embrace that, and we have a great family network. And I think a lot of times we talk about the guardsmen, but we don't talk about their families and some of the challenges they have and what it takes to support them. And that's why, you know, we have the liaisons at the hospital. We have these team leads. It may seem like an odd construct, but our service members, um, the younger airmen especially and the younger soldiers, it's just a check-in, like, what do they need? How? And sometimes they don't want to say, well, I need this day off for a doctor's appointment with my family. But if their team lead catches that, they'll push that up and say, hey, this person needs to go to this doctor's appointment or the wife's pregnant and having an ultrasound. And we want to support our service members. Yes, we have a job to do, but we also have to take care of them and make sure their families are in a good place as well. Wow. There's a lot of correlation there with healthcare workers, right? We always take care of everybody else first. But that teamwork and recognizing it and supporting each other and, and certainly helping everyone engage in that self-care is so important. It really is. And we always say our motto, kind of our wing is mission first, people always. So we always want to make sure we can still accomplish that mission. And it may be moving people in and around to a different hospital. We moved a lot of teams up to the testing center because they had, we call them hardships or, you know, picking up their kid from the babysitter. There's a lot of kids taking college classes. Some of these young service members wanted to stay on the mission, but they still don't want to give up that class. You know, they don't want to miss a whole semester. There was a lot of coordination with my team, the service members, and trying to find out what that looked like in order to ensure we're able to take care of them and 
their demands, but still execute the mission and get things done. It's fascinating just listening to you talk through those things. And, and there's so many correlations and there's probably a lot that we could learn as an organization from how you guys are organized and structured. I, I'm interested. You've got 10 person teams and you're a lead of one of those task forces. So I'm the lead for all of the teams for Northwest Ohio, 25 plus teams Wow! currently at multiple hospitals. Kind of give you an idea. We're talking all the way up into, and I'm again, not from the Northwest, but I'm learning all <laughs> about the Northwest, all the way up into uh, Williams County, down to Mercer County, over to Erie and Huron, and it kind of does a steer step up over from Mercer into Huron. The, so those 25 teams, you said that each team has 10 members. Yes. When we start looking at the teams, and that's a roundabout estimate number, so we don't get into specifics. Mm-hmm. Initial when the tasking came out and they said, hey, December when the 21st, 22nd, when the first onboarding came on and we processed members, they didn't know what the mission looked like either. They just knew they were tracking the trends based on COVID in Northeast Ohio. And there was a concern that the hospital staff was getting inundated and not going to be able to provide the care necessary. As we received the Army soldiers and airmen, we started building 10-person teams, looking at what the rank was, trying to have a team lead, kind of, we call them a senior NCO, non-commissioned officer, that would serve as the team lead and then build that team. And it didn't matter to us if they were Army or Air. We were just saying a body's a body. And based on, we didn't look at skill set, their specialty code or training. We just said, hey, you're going to be doing general, non-clinical general support in the hospitals. We just need to build these 10-person teams out. So we built out as many teams as we could. And then we just waited a couple of days for the taskings to come down from our joint task force. And my understanding of the process was little to none when we first began. And now it's the hospital administration has to reach out to the Ohio Hospital Association, which then coordinates with our joint task force in Columbus, which will then task us to execute the tasking. It's a ton of tasking. (laughs) And initially, I I felt terrible for the joint task force because they try to push this out at five o'clock, seven o'clock at night. You know, that they push that out at night. But because of the coordination, it wasn't coming out till nine, 10 o'clock in the night, sending emails to the hospital administrators, our points of contact to say, hey, we're supposed to meet with you tomorrow. How does this work? What does it look like? What do you need? Dates of birth, socials. Hey, we already captured all this information. And then another layer of security is we don't email personal identifiable information outside of our dot mil domain. So, hey, Christy, I can't email this to you. How do we get this to you? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, there's a program called DOD Safe that allows me to do that. It was kind of like, what can we do to help make this process more efficient? Early on, it was a little cumbersome. Well, it came together pretty quickly. And uh, just to speak for us here at the metro region, they were looking obviously at the Ohio Hospital Association and asked, participants, you know, who would be able to expand for COVID because obviously this Omicron variant is so contagious. And we were very concerned, not just about getting overwhelmed from a patient population perspective in the community, but also our workforce. Well, we we were already high census. Like we were boarding patients in the ED and we had, you know, hit zone red several times and were bypassing because we had so many patients in the EDs. Without this happening, we were already worried about how we're going to maintain the status quo with this surge. Well, and we looked at this too and we said, you know, with the legacy, we do have some space 
that we can mm-hmm. use. And we, we noticed that with the first surge with COVID. And we thought, my gosh, if we can get some help from the National Guard, that'd be fantastic. And, and Dawn Buskey was on that OHA task force and she came to us at senior leadership one day and we kind of had the team around and she goes, you know, they're, they're looking for places to expand. We know this is coming. Cleveland was surging at the time. Detroit was starting to have upticks in case. She, you know, just like with COVID, I think we had this rallying cry for our staff. You know, it was always, you know, if not us, then who? So why not us? And and that's where we kind of came together. It was pretty cool. That's really neat. And I know for us, um, in order to be tasked, the governor has to task the National Guard. And it's within his authority because we're Title 32 Army and Air Guard. If you hear active duty, that's a Title 10 soldier. Well, the governor has zero authority over any of the active duty forces. So when that national emergency comes out for the state or state emergency is tasked, then he has the ability to tap into the National Guard. What I think is important with that is when you type into the National Guard, you're tapping into your community members. You're tapping into the members that live and work in your community because these people, they don't put on the uniform every day. They're working as a truck driver or maintenance or, you know, working as, as somewhere else in IT within the companies and within the community. They're active members in the community. Once they see that hospital mission and the need, they can then share with their family members, going, hey, no, this is bad. Like the, we're seeing these trends or we're seeing this happen and I'm going into work in the hospital and I'm doing these things. But you're my mechanic or, you know, you're my banker. Right. You do my mortgages or whatever it might be. And those people are getting pulled out to go fill this mission because the need in the state of Ohio at the time was so great. May do banking one day and surgery the next. <laughs> I told him, don't give our people a scalpel. Like, <laughs> you just. We will not. I want that on record. <laughs> we will not. That's true. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> there was a couple people when we were in materials. I think it was. Holland, and he was talking about how he's a CPA and he's working in materials, but he likes it. It's kind of fun for him. Way different than what he does every day. I would bet. I mean, healthcare is always interesting, and that's, you know, we do some amazing things here, obviously, and I think most people always have an interest in it to some extent. Well, I don't think people, general people that work in the community, know how much it takes to run a hospital when you're looking at facilities, security, materials environmental services, lab, pharmacy. People just think, oh, hospital nurses and doctors. And really, if we didn't have all those other areas, we could not do what we do. Exactly right. It's an unbelievable, well-orchestrated team. And we said the same thing. Senior Master Sergeant Sipe were actually kind of relaying this, relating it to the military. So everyone thinks if you're in the Air Force, you know, you're a pilot. And all you do, the only job is pilots. Well, it takes two people to fly the plane on most aircraft. But there's a whole group of maintenance workers that make sure that plane is operational. There's aircrew flight equipment that makes sure the safety equipment on the plane is operational. There's intelligence that tells them threats and different things to avoid or just concerns within an area if we're flying over in the Middle East, wherever that might be. So it takes a whole team to do what you think of. It's the doctors or it's the nurse. <laughs> yeah, so there's yeah. all these people behind the scenes that I think a lot of times you're just not aware of. Because they just do their job. That's probably something we ought to let the listeners know a little bit of, too, is what all you guys are here doing. Because I think everybody thought, oh, they're going to come in and take care of patients. And it's interesting. You, as you had said before, this is your first time to a hospital. Uh, it's, it's also my first pandemic. So I can relate a little bit. Right. So the, the first time, uh, the first meeting we met with uh, senior leadership here at the hospital, the amount of guidance, hey, it's non-clinical general support. 
I don't know what that means. Like <laughs> you talk about integrated air defense systems and all these other things that no hospital worker knows. I can talk those in planes, but uh, kind of working with Christy and Paula at the hospital. Hey, what, what does this look like? What is our role? Like what EVS, I don't know what that means. What is environmental <laughs> services? How many people do you need there? You, you know, these sort of things, facilities, nutrition, that one I understood as soon as I heard it. But what does that look like? At the lower level, as they are actually working on the job, is it delivering the food? Is it actual food preparation? It's kind of working through those and can they check blood pressure? I'm like, no, our, our people are mechanics or jet. Like a lady yesterday is like, I'm a jet engine mechanic. I don't know anything when it comes to blood pressure or testing. So kind of, well, what level of care can they assist with if we're moving a patient? Our person shouldn't be lifting and doing that because they don't know the proper way. And some of them aren't comfortable being in this setting, you're a heavy equipment operator. I drive a bulldozer and you're pulling them out and saying, hey, you're in patient care and you're helping interact with patients and you could just see their face. Okay. You know, you know they <laughs> yeah. do it. They step yeah. up and you feel They've great. been wonderful. We have them in um, environmental services and nutritional services, materials, pharmacy. So mm -hmm. in pharmacy, they're just helping deliver medications. We expanded them into lab. With everything going on, the amount of tests coming to lab has been astronomically record volumes. Put some of them in lab and they're just helping like opening the bags and making sure things are labeled. They've been transporting patients. You know, it, it relieves someone from the floor having to leave the floor and go down and take someone to x-ray. We have the, the swabbing site here internally. So as tests in the public were not available, people were coming to the ER and so with our ERs already full. It was hard because these people are taking an ER room just to get swabbed so they can go back to work. Those guardsmen really stepped up, you know, learning how to swab patients and, and yeah. register them. And so that really helped the ED. We saw immediate results from that. Then we have them in central staffing. So these are people that are deployed to the floor and doing non-medical tasks. And they actually have a task list like emptying linen, stocking PPE, taking dirty trays, emptying trash, those types of things. And it's really just... a those things that would be a nurse would have to do, it frees up some time for them to do their patient care. Be at the bedside. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It just speaks to how labor intensive it is to run a hospital. I mean, you think about the number of people we have, and you, you mentioned lab. I know lab has been hit hard with some mm -hmm. Omicron down there. Really having that relief from you all has really been a blessing. Yeah, we're glad we can help out. And it's what's what I think is nice with this is a lot of the service members here live in the Toledo area. So they're able to go home at night, but then they're helping their community that they live in and getting a different perspective, you know, than what they've seen previously or seen on the news. And I think that's been powerful and, you know, very impactful for a lot of them. I tell you, it's impressive. And people, you know, I tell people, oh, we have the National Guard in helping us. That's how serious this is. And I don't know that the community understood how exhausted we've been for the last year and a half. Yeah. But really, you look at our capacity at the hospital, we've been full every day for six, eight months. I don't know what's the exact number, but it's been absolutely crazy. And I know our staff are working their tails off and taking great care of the community. Working as, extra because of all the you know vacancies that we have. You know They're tired of working extra and having to pick up. I will say that EVS, when we said that we were going to deploy two teams to environmental services, the entire department had a celebration because they just felt like a sense of relief that help is coming. Even though it, the guardsmen that came and they're doing non-medical, people might like, well, you have a nursing shortage, you have a physician shortage. 
we're not going to take nurses and doctors from other areas to come relieve us because that's just going to create a problem somewhere else. Those non-medical tasks has been a, a, a great help and relief to people. Well, just what you're describing, right? The, the tasks that are being done on the floor, just freeing up the nurse to be available and at the bedside more is just an improvement in care. And, and you're exactly right. I mean, the appreciation that we're seeing from the staff and it really has been a welcoming uh, uh, environment for it's sure. It's really changed the feel, the pulse of the hospital. Even the first day when we got the, our large group on orientation and Mary coordinated that walkthrough so we can just show them, like, welcome, we're, we're so glad you're here. There were people, our staff, that were tearful and oh, yeah. relieved. And you just felt this lift of, like, someone finally heard that we need help and someone's here to help us. I totally agree. I mean, I tell my team all the time at Job's, right, the beatings will continue till morale improves. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of what it's been like the last six, eight months. And you're exactly right. Just, I mean, seeing the pictures in front of the Christmas tree out front uh, with the, the National Guard, there's a lot of pride in the staff. I totally agree. Speaking of that, were you here through the holidays, unfortunately? You missed your family or did you able to get back and see them? At I least? went home Christmas Day. In New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, although I was home, I wasn't home. <laughs> like I was on my phone and that because we were, we had. That was the very was beginning. Right the beginning. It was yeah. the very beginning. Yeah. And so, we still didn't know what we were doing. Right. And we honestly were still working out, building those teams, working through hardships. And it wasn't until about the third weekend that I finally had a day, third or fourth weekend. It all was a blur, you know, right now until I kind of had a Sunday off. And, we, and some of that was on us. We, you know, we are a priority and we did this to ourselves from a command like leadership standpoint. Our priority was building out teams, even though we could have used a few more people within our offices. We wanted to put everybody we could to build as many teams out as we could for the hospital. And it's not uncommon when we first start missions to kind of experience, hey, it's a six or six, seven days a week. 10, 12 hours. Some of those were 16, 18 hour days. It wasn't a surprise to the leadership staff. We just knew it needed to be done to get these teams built. And then once we were able to get the teams built and had some extra people on what we called our bench, we identified a few members to come in and say, hey, you're going to start helping um, the operation side of things. So we were able to do that. Initially, yeah, the, the Christmas was, I was there. Um, I wanted to sleep and all my kids wanted to do was open presents and do everything else because... I'm like, I haven't slept in a few days. Welcome it's, to healthcare. Yeah, it's <laughs> and welcome to the military. It's, it's the same thing. You know, a lot of times what we do, it, we get in there, whatever we have to do is we miss birthdays. We miss holidays. That's one thing working with you guys that I've realized is there's so many parallels yeah. between military and healthcare. Uh, you're exactly right. And, and you think about it, we try to do so many things that I think the military does so well, which is standardization. Right. And we know standardizing processes and care pathways and whatnot increases quality, decreases complications, should decrease cost as well. So there is just amazing the corollaries and then the commitment. Right. And uh, would you say mission first to people, people always. always? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And the, the correlation is it's, it's so similar with the higher because we call them different things. But after the first day at the hospital, uh, senior master sergeant site, he's my non-commissioned officer. We met with Paula and um, Liz and Christy was there and he leaves the meeting and goes, I'm going to be working with Christy. You can deal with everything on the fourth floor. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm on the fourth floor. I'll take floor. that as a compliment. <laughs> it, but, you know, again, it, it's that hierarchy. And he realized that if our teams are going to get trained and this is who I this is who I need to talk to. We've had very few issues 
Um, and everyone at ProMedica has been great to work with. And it's been phenomenal in the experience I think the service members are having. The impact is grateful. And that overall impact, it matters. And yesterday, Colonel Detling, the Joint Task Force Commander and the Command Sergeant Major Bargy was up here. And just they kept reiterating that message because from our level, we're able to see that. But sometimes when you're on the floor working, you go, all I did was restock a shell. Transported patients, they're not seeing the greater effect that that's having at the hospital. It's important to keep reiterating that to those younger service members. What they're doing matters. Speaking of that, how has their experience in the hospital been? Because, you know, as we were talking about this, it, it, it can be emotionally taxing to be in healthcare. We see some of the worst things. You guys aren't used to that. I hope that uh, that experience is good. And we've got a lot of support internally that we support each other and, and have programs for ProMedica when they go through something traumatic. But uh, how about you guys? Very similar. When we first met um, at the hospital, that was one of my concerns. We have a very, we have a younger force overall, right? A lot of 19, 20 year olds in college, seasoned in, peppered in with, you know, the older people. And I'm in the military considered old, which I think is weird. We'll go with that. How, if they're in the emergency department and they see something, what does that look like? And at the time I was reaching out to joint task force at the state going, we need a chaplain. Like, or is there talk of us getting a chaplain? And uh, when I brought it up to the hospital staff, they said, oh, you can use our support. We'll put you in contact with the right people. And it just so happened when we started, we brought a chaplain on board. He was in contact with the hospital staff and our chaplain goes to all of our different locations once a week and checks in on service members. The service member, if I see them, they want to tell me like everything's good. I don't want to tell the boss that there's really something wrong. The team leads will tell me that. The younger airmen go, no, everything's good, sir. Up on a smile. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, that's not why I'm coming around to see you. So every once in a while, yes, hey, I had this problem. Okay, uh, let's take care of it. Oh, we'll get it fixed. Anyone doing um, transport and working in the ED, we've identified those team members. So we can kind of do like an exit interview. Hey, what traumatic experiences did you experience? And they're supposed to port, report those up as they have them. We have a couple of people that said, hey, yes, I, I saw this event. I'm good with it. But the chaplain knows that so he can stay in touch with that service member throughout the process. Overall, um, there hasn't been a, a concern. We've identified it in our tracking of, you know, should something arise. So far, everyone's been, hey, we're, we're good. We're happy to be here. And well, it's interesting. You talk about the positive impact you're having and, and helping. And, you know, we don't do a good job of that ourselves as far as celebrating our victories in healthcare, right? We focus mm -hmm. all the time on when something could have been done differently that might have affected an outcome in a better way. And so we focus on that all the time and we rarely focus on the good outcomes. We need to do more of that. But it, and I think, you know, the correlation would be how do we get that information to you and and your task forces so that they know the positive impact they're having on the community. So one of the, Christy um, and some of the other hospital staff recently have start, they've sent us some photos of <laughs> building respirators or I think, ventilators or mm -hmm. whatever it was yep. they were building. Oh, again, my medical <laughs> knowledge is lacking. That's the, the uh, airflow intake and outtake. <laughs> <laughs> that I get. <laughs> but also with uh, just, Colonel Detling and Command Sergeant Major Bargy being here yesterday, the pictures and the interaction. So we're actually working on to all of our service members, or at least uh, the total man hours you worked, the number of meals that were delivered, the number of COVID tests administered. You know, we track those daily and are rolling those up. And then we're going to be able to see, hey, at the end, 
this is what we did. So Major Holly has come out a couple times and coined individuals. Hey, we heard you did a great job. Hey, I just want to know your, you know, your work is being appreciated. And that little, that little coin, other people hear about that and it makes a difference and does not just that service member that received it, but other folks on the team, it, it improves morale. And this has probably been like the, one of the most mind blowing things that I've learned about the military is the, the coin challenge. So can you yeah, elaborate a little bit? So it's funny because it's kind of like any good myth or legend, like where did it originate? And some say it originated during World War II. There was a wealthy lieutenant that bought coins and he was shot down and the French couldn't identify him. He was first captured by the Germans. They left him keep his coin, but that's all he had. He was able to escape and uh, ended up in French territory. And they couldn't identify him, so they basically were holding him as a prisoner of war. And then someone saw his coin with his unit on it and recognized it and said he was released. So that's one. And the other, during the Vietnam War, they said, hey, there was kind of an elite group that created their own coin. And the only way to get into the club, the bar, was if you had this coin. But it's the history of the coin always has the unit's logo, mascot. There'll be something on there that identifies what unit it's from. The back will kind of have the motto or kind of what that battle cry is for the unit. And the commanders will use that to help improve the morale. Previous deployment, once a quarter or once a month, we outstanding unit would get a commander's coin. And then they use those challenge coins. They might throw them down and be like, hey, here's the coin. If you don't have a coin, you're buying the round. It, you know, you're getting the Pepsis and you're, you're buying the water. Or you have to go get everything sure, that's for what us it this is. time. Yeah, that's the story we tell, right? Yeah. So yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> so we've actually been lucky enough to have had two people coined here. So one was Major Holly coined Breeze, I think, Central Transport. That was pretty early on. I mean, he made he made such an impact that they were already talking about him. And then yesterday, Colonel Detling via Harmon in uh, security. That's to, awesome. Yeah. Two pointings really is the, the service member. I mean, kind of neat. Most of the time you remember that story like, oh, yeah, I was over in Kuwait or I was with the Dutch one time over in Afghanistan and they gave me a coin for doing some stuff with them. And it's like, oh, I have this little cool Dutch coin. So it's not even it's not just the U.S. military. There's actually history going back to the Roman Empire using coins within their military to identify wow. different units. How do we tell the difference between Air Force National Guard and Army National Guard? We have the two here, correct? Correct. So it's a joint task force with joint. That means it's going to be more than one service branch, Army and Air. The majority of the Ohio National Guard is Army. And then we do have four wings around the state for the air side. So in the uniforms, we both call they're the OCPs, the name tapes on the service member. Well, it'll say U.S. Air Force. And that side's always over your heart. So you always wear the branch you're part of is on your heart. So that's how you remember. Because some of them are Velcro. And if you wash them, you have to remember. Because people will call you out if you put your name tapes on the wrong side. You look silly. And then the other is the color of the, the actual name branch. The Army uses black. And the Air Force uses spice brown. That's really pretty. <laughs> and then the other easy tell is with the flag. The Army will still use a colored flag. The Air Force uses a subdued, like, brown, tan flag. So if you see red, white, and blue, that's Army. Or black, where the the uh, Air Force is going to have more of a subdued uniform flag and brown name tapes. 
Gotcha. Interesting. It is because when they first showed up the first day, we did not know. And so we were not using the correct verbiage. They're very <laughs> proud from what service they're from. I thought when this was all first happening, it was just Air Force. So I accidentally called an army man an airman. And he. It, I was corrected very quickly. I'm a soldier. Yes. Um, and it's still, we still mess up the titles, I think. Well, at least I do. Master Sergeant, Senior Master Sergeant, Colonel. Bargies yesterday, I was like, Command, Sergeant, uh, Major. Y- yes. <laughs> it was like keeping them all together. I was like, oh. it's, it's been a really cool experience. I think the staff are feeling that same way. And we've tried to show some, so grateful for their help, like doing the t shirt and a pretty huge success. Yesterday, when we were rounding with Colonel Detling, a lot of people had their t shirts on. So he got to see that. Traditional services, there was um, an airman there, and he said, when we were delivering trays, we had the nutritional services t-shirt and they've had really good success. Like they're delivering food. So people are happy with them. He said, but when I wore my t-shirt that said national guard and, you know, I'm part of this mission, people treated me differently that they were like, thank you for your service. Thank you for being here. We're, you know, grateful patients and families and staff. It was well received. That's awesome. So three kids, how old are your kids? 10, 8, and 4. Aww. Well, Eli will be 5 next week. So. Perfect oh, wait, age yeah, for Christmas. Week. Yeah, yes. that's awesome. Fun. Yes. It's interesting between personality styles. My oldest, when I leave, it's a challenge for her. Like she, My middle child is a little me, and she's like, what day will you be home? I'm like two weeks. She's like, all right, Dad, see you then. Like, no biggie. And then El, my oldest will kind of be crying. He's coming home, El. It's only two weeks. Like, we can talk to him on our phones. Like, <laughs> we have Facebook Messenger we can, t- you know, FaceTime him with or whatever. The personalities and my little guy just kind of runs and he's my son. He's just kind of in between the two, the other, the, his sisters. So it's kind of funny, their personalities. Fun. It's, it's fun. They're troopers as well with everything, but they're doing well. What do you like to do outside of work? Anything, mostly outdoor stuff. Uh, anything outdoors, hunting, fishing. When COVID first kicked off, I was in Europe on TDY over there doing an exercise. And then I was kind of like, am I getting back or not getting back? And General Camp said, sometimes I had to help people get back. We literally reached out to General Camp when he was up here, when we were in Europe. Hey, we need a general to sign this so we can fly back to the States because Europe was about three, four weeks ahead. So after that, we started doing the telework thing. So I built a pool building in my evenings during my free time. Wow. It's like doing construction and just work around the house. And then uh, my daughters are busy with softball, volleyball. My middle daughter, she does gymnastics four days a week. It's about 50 minutes away. So we do a lot of traveling with her with gymnastics starting off. But it keeps us busy and it's fun. And we're pretty active in our local church. Remember some old data and to correlate with healthcare that Number two area for sports injuries was gymnastics. Number one was volleyball. Well, there's my kids. See, it's I wrestled, so I didn't have to worry about it. So now you know some healthcare. That's good. You can that'll <laughs> save, that'll save you on your deductible. Yeah. Well, so we've been, we've been pretty lucky. My daughter that does gymnastics, she has a friend that goes to the same gym, so we're able to carpool. The other day, last week, I was able to take them to gymnastics. The one day I was home on a Saturday. Her friend's running to go get water during the break, falls and breaks her arm. Oh, my gosh. My- not oh even doing gymnastics, gosh. going on the water break. <laughs> she falls. Like, so then I have to call her mom, who's a nurse. I'm like, I'm not a nurse. I'm not a doctor. 
Although I've dealt with a lot of broken arms, I'm pretty sure it's fractured. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> She's like, "Just bring her home. We'll be, we'll go to the. We'll take care of it later." Like, okay. Yeah, that's a typical nurse response. Like, you're breathing. Yeah, tape it up. You're good. Yeah. We'll, get back we'll, in we'll there. Get, yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, we've learned a lot about some of this, and I'm sure we still have a lot more to learn. But for you know everyone's time's sake, especially you, Major Davis. I just want to thank you for being here with us, and we are so grateful to you and your team. And we know there's a lot of background stuff going on to kind of coordinate this. Really, truly feel like this has been one of the highlights of my career is working with you guys and getting to learn so much. And it's been rejuvenating, I know, for myself and my team because everyone has been wonderful and really helping us. I think it's really going to reset our path. That's two great organizations in a lot of ways, and and I love the the collaboration, right? We kind of all came together at a moment's notice, not knowing what each other could do, but we figured it out. It's been great working with ProMedica, and I know know, when you start onboarding a lot of teams, a lot of people really fast, it's challenging, and we felt it, you guys felt it, but hey, the day we were starting on, everybody was here, everybody was working, it all came together has been really great to see you know the two organizations come together to be able to help the community and even the staff you know at ProMedica so we're grateful to be able to help out fantastic all right that'll do it take Take care. care